Hi, I'm Eric Humphrey, and this is Creatives Talk. This podcast was birthed from a simple idea of giving back to the creative community. Every week I have the opportunity to speak with some of the most creative, driven, and inspiring individuals I've had the chance to meet. I hope their stories inspire you to live a more creative life. All right, I'm really excited to have Dane Scotty here with me today. I've known Dane for about 16 years now. Uh, we met my sophomore year of college and uh, built a really strong bond. And so Dane took a path that I remember when he graduated, I was like, you're nuts to go into advertising, move to New York, and he had his MBA. But he pursued it, persevered through so much adversity, and now he is an EVP at the age of 34, which is pretty unheard of, um, running the Coca-Cola brand for Macan. So thank you for being here, Dane. Yeah, for sure, obviously. I mean, when you know someone for 16 years, it's hard to say no to do these kind of <laughs> things. So. <laughs> true, true. But I'm glad you had the time because yeah. I know you're pretty busy, but... Uh, I just give me some background on how you decided that you wanted to get into advertising. Was it something you always wanted to do, or yeah? Uh, I think when most people get asked that question, like how'd you discover this? It's like it was by mistake, or they saw so they knew somebody. So it wasn't it wasn't that. It was literally, and I made a decision very early. And I guess if I look back at it, like maybe I should have kind of considered other career options, but <laughs> it's worked out well thus far. I was probably about uh, fourteen. 13 or 14 years old, and I will just enjoy watching TV commercials. And I, my mother works in nonprofit marketing, and I told my mother, you know what, I know what I'm going to do. Like, I know I'm like 13, 14, but I figured it out. Like, I just want to write commercials. And she's like, oh, really? So, yeah, I'm going to just send them in to companies. They're going to like it, and I'm going to get paid for it. She's like, well, this kind of works that way, but it kind of doesn't work that way. So she told me, go off and look into it and figure out if you really want to do it. So I don't know. I probably lost a little bit of this sort of like uh, – grind or this hustle but at 13 i remember i wrote letters to all the holding companies of advertising agencies uh, and i went and i looked at like in the bookstore to figure out what books i could buy so i picked up like ogilvy on advertising and it's that and the other so i actually got some responses from a couple of agencies i wish i would have saved it um just saying like these are the things you should read or these are the type of internship programs you should look into and whatever um so i thought it was kind of dope that they responded i didn't know at the time that like there wasn't a, a large amount of like diversity within advertising. It was a pretty like nepotistic sort of like industry. It was hard to break into low, because of low starting salaries and all that stuff. But I was like, you know, green, obviously. So I was like, all right, I'm going to definitely do, you know, uh, advertising. And I think as I went a little bit further in high school, I remember being in my school newspaper. They said, what is everybody going to do? Like there's five of us. They profiled. Everybody else said, I'm going to be in a league. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be a lawyer, and I said I'm gonna be an account manager in advertising. And I still have the newspaper, uh, so this would have been all of like 1997, 1996, wow. 97, something like that. Um, so when I was a freshman in uh, college. I knew I was in the taking the business program. I knew internships were like you know uh, a part of the program, and I knew if I wanted to be serious about continuing this path, I needed to find some advertising internships and how to break into it uh, beyond just the few things I had read. So the internet was sort of just 
becoming popular at that time. That's how old I am. <laughs> uh, and I remember like looking up internship programs and stuff, and I found out about MAPE, which is Multicultural Advertising Internship Program. And for two summers, I would leave that uh, business program at FAMU and go up to New York and intern at agencies. Um, I also found a local advertising agency in Florida, in Tallahassee, where I went to school, and convinced them to give me an internship as well. So every summer while I was in college, from my freshman year on, I, I, I interned at an advertising agency just to kind of figure out the inner workings of the business and whatnot. Wow. So when you knew that you were 13 that you wanted to get into advertising, were your parents supportive of it or did they ever discourage you? They definitely never actively discouraged it. I think they were like passively supportive. I think they were just like, okay, like this, you, you probably change your mind. Like it, it didn't even feel like a real conversation. Like I vaguely remember it. Uh, and I think there was some influences my mother worked in marketing, but not that much. It literally was just my, I felt like I could, I used to write a lot more and I felt like I could write commercials and something convincing, even though that's exactly not what I ended up doing within advertising. Um, so yeah, they were supportive, but not like actively supportive. They were just like, okay. And then when I found out about the internship and I would go for these interviews, they knew it was a little bit more serious. So they were more actively supportive at that point when I started uh, doing that in college. But then I'm sure your parent, especially your mom, warned you that you know advertising is like they grind out young people and throw them out really quick. I think that was part of her reason to tell me to look into it because she was like, you just need to understand the realities of how it works beyond just not knowing that you can't write them on your own and send them in. Yeah. Like, if you want to go into the industry and work for the company that does that or companies that do that, like, yeah, there's just, you should be a little bit more familiar with it. So without saying it outright, I think because of her knowledge of marketing, she knew, and she works with agencies. She's the client uh, for nonprofits. Uh, so I think with that knowledge, she sort of, without discouraging me, wanted me to find out on my own, like, what's the real deal about working in this industry? Got it. What do you think it came from that made you write the letters to the advertising agencies? Like that's not something that normal thirteen year old kids do. Yeah, I know. This is why I was. I, I wish I was still like have half of the the balls I had when I was thirteen. Now at the age of thirty four, because I uh, I look back at it, I'm like I still kind of question like how the hell did why did I do that? And, <laughs> and it wasn't like I was trying to prove somebody wrong or anything. It was just like a. I think it was my like passion for and like habitualness of my writing like I used to write my own books like novels like with the choose your own ending and do illustrations and make comics and all that stuff again wasted talent have put none of that to use but the fact that I wrote so much was like, okay so all I have to do to find out more about this is just write a letter and I remember as a young kid for other things like if somebody sent me a gift like somebody my mother worked with I would write them a card and a letter I was really big on writing people like personal thank you notes and things of that nature so I think it just it fit into something I was already doing. It wasn't like a big barrier for me to do that. Um, and yeah. But then taking the step to even look up the companies and figure yeah. out the holding companies that own these advertising agencies. And then who did you even write to? Like, were you writing to the CEO? Uh, were you writing to marketing uh, people? I think I, I wrote to the HR people because it was more of like, it was like a 13 year old's way of asking for like a job spec. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, and obviously I knew at that age, like, the thing that'll stick out in this letter is if I just say like, "Hey, I'm 13." At the time, I even knew like, okay, that means they'll probably respond, or this isn't just like, "Oh, this guy's looking for a job." I was like, I don't want anything from you except for like what you already know and take for granted, like the knowledge you have in your head. So I think I was a cunning 13 year old. I think I was. I, I knew that it would, it, it would probably yield something, but I still was. I remember being surprised that some of the people writing back. Um, I think I wrote Sachi, um, Ogilvy, uh, just. 
the, the things that were the agencies that were easiest for me to find out about. And at that time it hadn't, the industry hadn't fragmented as much as it is now. You didn't have this like, you know, digital and everything else, like everybody else having 10 different agencies within a network. Uh, so they were like, you know, the, the bastions and the, the big agencies that were responsible for the industry in itself and like luminaries like Ogilvy and Saatchi and uh, J, JWT, I think was another one. Um, and I think I, I wrote to the Atlanta agencies as well, now that I think about it, because I was in Atlanta at the time. So it, it would have been their smaller offices. Yep. You know, so again, without knowing it, a higher chance of them responding to a local 13-year-old <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to writing in, to New York. And yeah. then the creativity of writing, and you said you did comics and everything. Mm-hmm. Was that something that was inspired from your parents, or was mm-hmm. that something, where did that come from? So my dad majored in art. He uh, he paints, he sculpts. So I've always grown up with like art around my house that my dad has done, and like even though it's the same, like and then even going to his mother's house, my grandmother, like seeing other things that he had done that was there. It wasn't like a lot of pieces, but it was enough, and he was proud enough of it that I knew that he he was skilled in that. I had always doodled and stuff like that. I knew that came from him, like the drawing piece of it. I think the business acumen piece of it comes from both of them. I think my dad has always been an entrepreneur by heart, uh, by uh, naturally. He's held a lot of different jobs, but he's always approached things in a very entrepreneurial way. My mother's always been much more of the sort of rigorous, like sustainable career path sort of thing, but it's always been within marketing. Um, and I just remember she used to work for CARE, uh, and she traveled around the world. He used to send me postcards. Uh, they used to go to like third world countries and stuff like that. But uh, I knew she worked in marketing, but I also knew it was a job that brought her to some cool places. So I think the influence of both of those things, like the actual creation of things, but also knowing that you could work in a business that is uh, creative and in a marketing capacity, but still feels more business-like, in the stu- but still you get to do cool things like travel. Like Those things were all interesting to me because I always – for a time, I felt like I would have to choose. Like, do I want to be an artist or a writer or something that is 100% like creative? Or do I want to like do the thing that I've always associated with being successful, climbing a ladder and becoming uh, someone that goes to an office and has a suit? <laughs> you know, like, you know, you have that, those things where you feel like that once you get to that point, like you yeah. have arrived. You're like, when well, I can make $50,000 a year, <laughs> you know, like, so it was kind of cool over the long term to realize that maybe those two things kind of could work hand in hand. And I think even now, that's one of the things I appreciate about my job. Like, I don't wear a suit to work. Awesome. I'm glad I don't have to wear a suit to work all the time. But it's a really serious business. But it's a serious business that revolves around creativity. So I'm glad I sort of discovered it because it helped me bridge two things that I used to not think could be bridged. Wow. So then talk to me a little bit about the internships. Every year you had an internship mm-hmm. when you were in college. What type of things did you learn in those interns? Um, so I think I said the order wrong last time. The first one I did actually my freshman year was the one in Florida. Um, and again, I had gone up to that. I found out there was an agency there uh, and went up there and sort of convinced them to bring me on board. I don't think they really even knew what to do with me. I've, I remember like... I like the fact that the people were like kind of partying and drinking and like whatnot. They were, they were all like focused on like making ads and it was a local agency. So I didn't get the sort of difference between what that would have been versus like a, a global or national agency. Yeah. Uh, it was just cool to sort of be in that environment. I think I did a lot of like paper pushing. They tried to teach me one thing or another, but I didn't even get into in that first uh, role. I didn't get into the specifics around like 
being a business lead or account lead or creative, you know, like the departmental aspect of things. I think they gave me a little bit of a, a familiarity of that, but that first one was more about understanding the culture of an advertising agency. And I liked what I saw, even though it was a small agency, it was the way people were with each other uh, was kind of cool. And I don't even know if that agency still exists, to be honest with you. So uh, what, how did the people work with each other at the agency that you thought was cool? It was like uh, the pace of it. I remember the pace of it being a thing that was like, oh, man, this is so cool. Like people are all busy and running around. It's like you get to see the actual ads. And it's like even things like the the proofing room where they would look at the sort of like the proofs of like the newspaper ads and stuff like that. And that makes me sound so old. Um, <laughs> the, the, like just the little light touches of things that I was like, oh, shit, like. There's a lot of layers here and, like, a lot of people involved in a lot of different departments. Everybody pulls their weight and, like, it all, like, culminates in, like, these things that we all see coming into the world. It just wasn't somebody writing out a script and then the commercial. Right. It was, like, a lot of people do stuff and there's, like, equipment and rooms and they deal with other vendors, like, all that sort of stuff. So I I, I didn't know much of anything, but the little pieces started to sort of appear, like, make themselves appear. Um, so that was the first one. The second one was at Saatchi. I worked on like the Honey Nut Cheerios account and like uh, General Mills and some of that stuff and like Progresso Soup. And that was when I first understood like what a TV edit was. And like I shadowed Jason White, who's a mentor of mine, the guy who's now the CMO at Beats. Like I shadowed him. He had the idea because I didn't even work with him, but we sat around each other. He's like, come with me to this shoot. I went with him for like a Tide shoot for a print ad like it was like some kids at a soccer field and I just thought that was the coolest thing there's like a trailer there and a talent was there <laughs> and we had like craft lunch like craft services and stuff like, like those. Little, I was like okay this is kind of like working in the movie business uh, so those those aspects of it which I think a lot of people are attracted to advertising around. like you get to sort of be in a creative arts industry and sort of there's some perks and there's some sort of like a little bit of panage associated with that I guess um, so I got a little bit of that, but that's when I really started to realize, like, okay, I definitely think the best place to like venture is around the um, account management sort of piece. I didn't know at that time if account management or project management was what I wanted to do because I still was trying to figure out the difference. Yep. I, I knew they both led something within advertising, and Ogilvy was the third. So before we move on to Ogilvy, yeah. why do you think Jason asked you to come along with him? Like, What did he see in you? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. I think a the proximity of where we sat, and he was he's just that kind of guy. Like he was cool, and like we became cool. And like I didn't realize it at the time, but like yeah, like in my greenness and my like lack of like social awareness about that industry, like I think the thing that I innately felt was like I like this, but I also there's not many people like me around. So I didn't tell myself that, but there was a feeling of that there, which was very true. Like there was no diversity whatsoever. So uh, I think I naturally gravitated towards him because of that, and I think he also gravitated towards me because, you know, he sees this young black guy, young diverse talent trying to get into the industry. Uh, so maybe he saw a little bit of himself in me. Um, and he was early in his career at that point too. He later became managing director of Widen out in China and ran Nike and all kind of other stuff. So it's been kind of cool to see his career sort of blossom and to see how, like, the diversity thing has slightly improved, but there's the same nucleus of people that sort of climb that ladder together in all of their respective agencies and, like, niches. Um, so he was just sort of the first introduction to that, like, kind of by mistake. Um, and I'd love to see where he's sort of gotten. But And the other thing is he's got a relationship with that internship program, MAPE. 
So he, I don't think he went to Georgia. I don't think he ever actually did the internship program, but he was a mentor of it within it. And he was always, he's always given back as like in the capacity of alumni. Oh, nice. So he wasn't my mentor. I had another mentor, this guy, Mark Strachan, who's like, he's like a luminary at Diageo. Um, but he, it was a luminary. He's just like, he's like ascended to the point where like they just create titles for him. Like <laughs> he's been the head of so many different things. He was the guy who like put Ciroc on, like he made that whole Ciroc Diddy deal happen. And like, he was like the main guy. And okay. Then they, he had like led a global role and then he was the head of diversity. He's done all kind of stuff, but he's just like, he, you know, when you're like a made man at a place, like That's him. you could probably come into the office like two or three days a week, but he does a lot for the advertising industry. He gives a lot back through ad color and stuff like that. Um, so he was my official mentor and the person who led the program, Tiffany Warren, she's the head of diversity for Omnicom. Um, but at the time she ran this advertising program through the four A's, uh, like the industry advertising association. Um, she was like a sort of, she ran the program, but she also took me under her wing a little bit too. So all those mentors, now that I say it, definitely helped <laughs> convince me that this was the thing I wanted to do. I, I should it. probably give them more credit for that. <laughs> and but what was it about you that made them gravitate to you? It wasn't just because you were in the program and you were a person of color. I was like a loudmouth like kid who was probably way too confident, and, but also really excited about this opportunity and I also I think at a young age I knew how to or I thought I knew how to use like emotional intelligence and like my natural social sociability uh, to my advantage I just finally found like an industry that would allow me to be a loud mouth and <laughs> and you know like kind of not have to put on so much of a mask so I think those things and like it still being work with me still being me like I think it just felt natural in a way. And the way I interacted with those people, whether in the ma- in mentorship capacity or the person running our internship program, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think that there was a, a, there was a gravitational pull there. But at the same time, I was really respectful of, like, what they had done and the opportunity that they afforded me. And I, I never was shy in, in sharing that with them. Um, I intentionally wanted to be closely linked to these people. I mean, like Tiffany, the person who ran that program, I mean, we've known each other at this point probably almost as long as you and I have known each other. I remember leaving my family reunion to go fly up to Boston to like her 30th birthday or something else like that. I probably shouldn't say that because you can start calculating how old she is. <laughs> but now <laughs> to this, she's come to London and seen me and like we like, the, like I said, this core of people, it's like people in a Petri dish, like that they keep ascending to like higher and higher heights in these roles where they go client side or stay in advertising and like, I think there's just a need for us to all stay connected to each other, even after all this time, uh, even if a lot of time elapses in the in-between, because like your success is my success, and us coming from that same place where we were the crazy people who wanted to get into this industry that all of our friends and everybody else had no idea about sort of worked out for us, you know? And like now we see like the floodgates opening and there being this need for diversity and this need for like talent to be recruited from different places. And a lot of these people I mentioned have been uh, wholly responsible for pushing that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where it came from. So, okay, so Sashi, so what happens after Sashi? What was the next internship? Ogilvy, where I worked on, like, AT&T. Um, and I, again, it was, a, it was another woman there, uh, uh, African-American woman, Adrian Harris, 
who uh, took me under her wing as well, even though uh, we kind of worked together, but she wasn't my direct boss. But there in, at Ogilvy, like, I had always known Ogilvy was, like, the guy who invented advertising. So it was like, <laughs> oh, this is, like, prime time. And it was, like, this huge building on 49th and 8th that also, like, was the shared a hall, a corridor with Rockefeller Records and, uh, like, just a random, it was just, like, a really fun summer. And my boy was over there, he used to go back and forth. And I'm like, this is, this is, like... Just a just a sample or a slice of the life that I'm about to live, like <laughs> in New York at the in the big building, doing it at the like the the core, the key, like the OG advertising agency. Uh, but the team that I got put in there, they kind of didn't know what to do me either, and they like it was like project management more than account management. So that was helpful because it convinced me that like, nah, I don't want to be a project manager. I want to be a person leading an account making decisions with the client, responding to like the business needs as opposed to driving a process internally. Not to knock it in any way, but it, it clarified for me that, yeah, I want to be an account lead. Nice. And then was that your last internship or did you have Yeah, that job? was it. And so now after you graduate and you got your MBA at mm-hmm. FAMU, after you graduate, what happens? Do you automatically move to New York, get a job, or was there some time in between? Well, that 13-year-old big mouth kid who then turned into a 18 year old I guess however old you are when you graduate 19 year old because I when you graduate you're 22 oh yeah <laughs> yeah I'm like I've missed a whole bunch of I wasn't that smart I didn't I didn't it was five year program as well uh so yeah at that 22 year old loud mouth who was extra confident that I've chosen the industry that I knew I wanted to be in since I was 13 14 years old I've gotten experience. I've stayed connected to these people in New York. I know I'm going to move to New York. I don't want to move back to Atlanta. Like, I was born in New York. That's where the industry is based. Like, I can already picture my life. Um, I I think at the time, there just wasn't a lot of, like, opportunities. And, like, the people, like, the warm prospects that I had and the, the relationships that I had built, it was like, yeah, just give me a little more time and whatever. And I started freaking out a little bit. And I'm like... So I found myself like working in construction, like sitting in the hot sun, like back in Atlanta, like feeling all like depressed and like, wait a minute, did I make the right choice? Was this all like a a dream? Like, how do I get into this industry? So I I had like a second layer of like opportunity where I would look at like local Atlanta agencies, uh, which at the time I just didn't fit into what I wanted to do. I wanted to move to New York. So, but I looked at like JWT and like BBDO, all the agencies had outposts in Atlanta. Um, and I had interviews, and those went very well. Uh, but luckily, I got an offer in New York from publicists, publicis. Um, how long were you in Atlanta before that offer came? It's a couple months, but it was just, you know, when you graduate and you feel like I've done all the studying, I got my got my diploma, I got my connections, like, you, like it couldn't happen fast enough. You know, you're ready to get out there and work. Yeah. Like, again, it's just such a funny thing to have hindsight about. Be like, why are you in such a rush to go, like, jump into, like, the corporate rat race, right? Uh, but, yeah, it was just like it's time to, like, do it for real. It's no longer a test run. So it was a couple months, but it just felt like forever. So how did you deal with that time off, though? Like, how did you deal with it and not get depressed and not get discouraged and uh. stay confident that New York was going to happen versus settling for something in Atlanta? I mean, I'll be honest with you, like I, it was kind of hard at times because it just like the reality of the world that lay on the other side of like, you know, the bubble of uh, college and that sort of 
sort of thing uh, hit me pretty quickly, which was like, wait a minute, I thought just because I knew people and they could find me a job. And it's like, wait, there aren't any jobs or there aren't jobs at that level. And uh, like the agencies I want to work for and the places I've invested in building relationships with, like that's, it's not really yielding anything. Uh, so it was impatient. So that got me down a little bit, but I also looked at it as like, all right, I have a backup plan here. Like there are agencies in Atlanta. If I have to do that, then I'll still get to New York eventually. So I was thinking of like, all right, one way or another, I'm not going to just abandon this. Like I've invested way too much to not start my career in advertising. It's just a matter of, is it going to be New York or Atlanta? Is it going to be this agency or that agency? Uh, But I did get to a point of desperation where I was like, I'll take whatever offer I get because I just want to start my career and then I'll figure it out from there. But luckily, the one I ended up taking uh, was in New York. It was at Publicis. uh, And uh, I was there for two and a half years, uh, three years, two and a half years, and learned a lot. So I have no regrets about the first thing I bid at. And I think once I got that offer, a couple of other offers in Atlanta and other places came in. But I was happy that there was a New York option on the table because it would more quickly get me to, like, the start point that I had already envisioned. And so I remember the time when you went to New York and started a publicist. And I remember like thinking to myself, this guy is nuts. You're going to New York making poverty level income. Oh yeah, it was like the low 30s. Yeah, and you got to I'm like, why are you doing this? You got your MBA. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why don't you get a job? Like you could have got a job demanding 80s to mm-hmm. 90s with your MBA. Mm-hmm. And you're taking a job in the most expensive one of the most expensive cities in the world, making $30,000. I'm like, you're nuts. Like how did and then I'm assuming like other people that you graduated with, they were taking those jobs with the eighties and nineties. Did that ever affect you, like looking at what they were doing versus the decision you had made, or were you just so determined that this is the path you want to make? I was definitely determined, like and I kinda was used to that difference, like the salary difference, and I already knew that was the path that I had chosen. I didn't really know how it was gonna play out. I just thought it was like, all right, well, I'm starting off at a disadvantage compared to my peers, uh, and I don't think I'll ever catch up necessarily, but it was worth it to me because I didn't want to work in finance. I, I, the, the career paths at the school, and again, I love and respect uh, the School of Business and Industry at FAMU, uh, but the career paths that that school prepared people for were based on the donors and the corporate relationships that they had and Obviously, the places where there's a demand for diverse talent, and uh, but they were much more around pharmaceutical sales, investment banking, finance, accounting, uh, all those sort of things. So I knew very early on, while I was doing those internships, the difference between what I had chosen to do versus what everybody else had chosen to do. There were two advertising classes at FAMU. Uh, I don't even know. I think there may be three now. So I... Uh, I was already used to like having chosen the like the, the less trodden path, and I was okay with it. I just didn't know how it was going to end, uh, but I was okay with that as well because I knew I had to be around creativity. I, I had to keep like fulfilling this desire that I had to like see this plan through that I had, and that was thus far sort of creating great experiences. <clears throat> excuse me, experiences and relationships. So. It was like, all right. And yeah, friends of mine at FAM like, were like, what? You're going to advertise? Where? Like, I didn't even say the names of the agencies. They wouldn't know it. But <laughs> obviously, 
a lot of people still don't know the names of agencies that aren't in the industry. Yep. You have to just say like the name of the brand you worked on. So again, it's like, all right, if I can work on a cool brand, then maybe they'll respect it a little bit more and this, that, and the other. And there are funny things. Like I remember when I was at Publicis, there were people I went to fan with that worked at Procter & Gamble that were like clients. They were just starting their jobs on that end, on the client side and coming in. And like even now to this day, I have people I went to business school with who are on the client side in different roles uh, that all the accounts that I've worked on, uh, for the most part, there, there's always been like one or two people uh, for, I'd say, 80% of the accounts that I've worked on. Some of them that I've had to work with almost directly uh, and others that I've run into at these places. So I've always been on an island uh, in that regard, but it's never been a thing that's made me want to like change course. So let me ask, if you always knew advertising was where you wanted to be, why choose a school that only had two courses mm-hmm. in advertising versus somewhere else? Uh, a, the proximity. Uh, being out of state but close enough to home and family was a big draw for you. The business pro- program in itself was like, it, it not too long ago had been named as time, one of times like you know best schools to go to and all that sort of stuff. I always wanted to go to a black college because I'm a dad and that experience. Um, so it checked all those boxes. And also, I, th- I thought about this strategically. I was like, if this advertising thing doesn't work out, I want to have a degree that I can still sort of like fall back on and sort of like turn into something else if I need to. Everybody would ask me in advertising, what do you have a master's? You don't need a master's to come into advertising. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't but I'd rather have one than not. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if I need to differentiate myself within advertising or if I need to sort of like pull myself out of it and go somewhere else, I have that there. So it won't be as hard for me and I won't be so pigeonholed, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a good question, but it was, uh, I flipped, flipped it into a benefit for sure. Nice. And so now you're a publicist. What, what was your role when you get this first job at publicist and what type of things did you learn? Uh, so I worked on a range of accounts. I think the thing, this is like, you know, when you're like starting your career and I got my first card and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I worked on ISE, which was like a financial, like equity, like a financial, like a index fund sort of thing. It was a small account. They only did mainly print ads, but they were kind of unique. And I worked on like Similac and like Pedialyte. It was all in like raw, like, so none of the brands I worked on in the beginning were like sexy or glamorous, but I was just excited to have a job, to be contributing, doing something for real. And we were working long hours and I... I already knew that about advertising, but this was now my life. I was eating like tacos, taco kits every night. Because <laughs> to your point, like what I was, in, you you remember that? I'm I sure. remember. Um, rice so like and dirty rice and meat. So, but we were still having fun. You know, it's like that point in your career where you're contributing, but it's not like you have to be at the top. You like something's gonna like break if you're not at the top. So it was like we party, we did the media parties and the open bar. Like we 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 enjoyed that aspect of things, even though we were poor. Uh well I don't even want to say poor because that's like disrespectful to somebody that's really poor. But we were like as far as a corporate job is concerned, we weren't being paid anything. A lot of my other colleagues that uh, had come from other schools, like their parents were subsidizing, like so they were fine with the thirty thousand dollars salary that they were getting. But for me, it was luckily I was in a rent stabilized apartment and whatever, so we we made it work. Uh, but within the job itself, uh, like I said, I worked across a couple of accounts. Then I started working on alcohol brands, so I had like uh, Malibu coconut rum and Kahlua and that sort of stuff. Uh, so that started to get a little bit fun, and I started to travel up to Connecticut. The clients were up there and all that. So this is like. 
I got promoted very quickly within that role. I wasn't usually you stay an assistant account executive for like a long time, like a year and a half or whatever, two years. But I got promoted in a couple months because of all the internship experience I had before it and whatnot. So that was kind of cool validation that I had been on the right path. And this was going to sort of help me sort of catch up, quote unquote. Um, so what things did you apply from the intern experience to your role now that you think got you promoted quickly? I think being an account lead, like, I quickly realized, like, your one of your best assets is, you know, there's, like, innate skills and there's acquired skills. I think acquiring the skill of, like, being diligent and thorough and extremely, like, organized, like, those things didn't come natural to me, right? But I realized, like, that's what's going to make or break you because you might be dealing with a lot of paper and a lot of the little small stuff and whatnot, but, like, something as simple as some traffic instructions to be like, this this coded spot with a 15-letter code needs to go to this place at this time so it can air, you still have the power to mess something up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, like, I understood the importance of those small tasks that I was doing, and the thing that I applied was uh, – what I had learned thus far or forced myself to learn, which was being very organized and thorough about even the smallest of details because I know the impact that they could have because I had an understanding of the process and the systems and sort of how it rolls into bigger things. I think the second thing that I've never let go of was I at that point knew how to leverage relationships internally with different departments, especially creatives. I realized that like the closer you are to creatives, like the better... Uh, opportunities you get, the better and more enjoyable your day-to-day is, uh, it, the easier it is to ask for things that they don't really want to do. They have to like you. to to. My job is basically 90% of the time getting people to do things they don't want to do, uh, whether that's clients or people internally. But I really used, like leaned into the internal thing and made that a part of my own way I approach my craft, which is developing really deep and strong relationships with creatives. Um, and people across teams in general, but creators especially. I never wanted to be like the suit, as they call it. That's like <laughs> so disconnected from what they have to go through, how much pressure they're under, all that sort of stuff. So it was just really trying to find a way to help and realizing that the small things and the relationships and all the soft factors actually matter a lot in this industry. So I think those are the things that carried over and helped set me up in that first job. Do you think your childhood and just being so creative as a child – played a part in you drawing very close to the creatives? Yeah, I think in some ways, but even I wouldn't go as far as thinking that that is what really solidifies any bonds that I've shared with creative people because they they were the ones who weren't scared to take a nugget of uh, ability like that and really turn it into a job, right? Like, they're the people writing the ads and coming up with the slogans and, like, beating these crazy deadlines with like these amazing ideas they're just intelligent on, on a whole nother level like creatively so I, I wouldn't even want to say like oh me being somebody who used to like to doodle and this that and the other like <laughs> it, it doesn't hold a I, I was I, everyone that gets into advertising I think has a little bit of creativity in them like to create things even if you're like a finance person or whatever uh, I just think there's a, a small segment of us that choose to like hone that and to really like bring that to light in a much bigger way, on a much bigger scale, and uh, under a lot more pressure. I can safely be like, yeah, I used to do this, I used to do that, but this is like, this is, they're made and broken by how good was your last campaign, how good does your book look, what have you done, what have you not done? So I, I think the thing that has allowed me to bond with creatives is I have just an enormous amount of respect for what they do. 
And I try to make that very apparent and very known. I try to be at their disposal. Um, I mean, we work in a service industry, and I think it's a known thing that everybody's somebody's uh, bitch, right? <laughs> uh, so usually that's applied to your clients. But I almost look at it like you're just as, you should be just as much of a bitch to your creatives as well. Like the creative work is we don't make anything tangible. What our clients invest in are people and the talent that those people possess um, and what those people can actually do for them and their business problems. So it's a lot of invisible shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So because of that, I just like I said, I just had this huge respect for what they're able to do and it amazes me still to this day. And I want to be as close to it as possible and I want to be as helpful as possible and making things easy on them, helping them, pushing for things, fighting for creativity. Um, and I don't think, I think there's a lot of account people who creatives would perceive as not fighting on their behalf or just being an intermediary between them and the client or just being a mouthpiece for the client. So when you were at Publicis and you got your promotion, like early in your career, were you still fighting the client? Because I, And I know a little bit about this, like the creatives come up with something the client says, no, that's too risky. Like early in your career, were you like, I'm going to fight for this for the creative or were you more like, I'm going to push back and go with what the client says? Well, I think luckily just the way things happen with sort of your maturation in any industry, I had a chance to be on the sidelines and observe how my bosses had done it and how different bosses, one did it versus another. So before I was sort of thrown into the mix to be the person that was doing that, I was observing it and trying to figure out, like, how would I do it differently or would I need to adopt a little bit of what this person is doing um, or adopt this as an example of what not to do. Um, And what I realized, this is further along in my career, it matters on so many levels. Obviously, it matters the people in the mix that you're talking about, the managerial styles of people, the clients themselves and how what they're expecting. Some clients expect you to do whatever, right? Like, that's the whole point about being someone's bitch. They don't expect to be pushed back on. That is That will be seen in the work, usually. But if that's their expectation, it's all about keeping the peace. Like, yeah. sometimes you cast an account based on that. Uh, it also has to do with the agency you work for. Some agencies make it a lot easier for you to walk in and say, no, we think this is the solution. Take it or leave it. Other agencies aren't in that place, and I've been at both. Um, so all those factors have to be considered and weighed on within like how much and when I'm able to push for what I think is right creatively or what my team thinks is right creatively. I mean, ultimately, I and my team have to be able to look each other in the eye and say, like, did we really push for what we think is the best work um, possible despite all the barriers that would be there and all the the no's we know we're going to receive and all the reasons and the impossibility of it and the risk of pissing off certain people and clients and whatnot, uh, we still ultimately at the end of the day have to look at ourselves and be like, so we got in this industry to create stuff as opposed to transcribe things that the people that pay us are telling us to do. So how much, and sometimes you got to pick your battles. Like sometimes you do have to just (laughs) receive it in one ear and output it in the other. But those are on the smaller things or those are things that you do in service to gaining a larger win and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's how I try to operate with my teams. That's sort of the way I, I try to look at things, the lens I try to look at things through. So tell me about some of the times that were really challenging throughout your career. Hmm. 
Um, and then how you handle those challenges. Uh, hmm. There's a there's a lot of uh, again. I've I've I feel like I'm nothing but blessed for the way my career has gone and the opportunities that I've been afforded, the things that I've seen, the places that I've been with it. So I, I don't want to say any of that to, to overshadow that. I think I think the the challenges fall into a couple of buckets. Uh, the first is there have definitely been times where I feel out of place. Um, definitely been times where you feel like the whole, the lack of diversity thing, right? Like it, it just like you, you, you want to constantly feel like, well, because I work around creative people and they're all unique anyway and eccentric and people have come in from a diverse set of industries and backgrounds and whatnot. We're all here for creativity. You sort of want to believe in this sort of kumbaya, um, about it. But, you know, I think sometimes the reality raises its head where like, no, you're still like, you're an anomaly. Uh, you're an exception within this world. And people might perceive you differently because of it. You might have to push and fight a little harder be- because of things. So it's it's not anything that sort of held me back, I don't think. But it's just something that I've just become cognizant of and aware of. But that's in any industry, I would assume. It's just this one, I, because there's not as much formality, I was sort of lulled into believing that, like, no, that's, it doesn't exist. But then, like, you know, you walk into a room, you look around, and you interact with your clients in a, in a certain way. Like, you overhear things and whatnot. It's, yeah, you, you realize, like, mm, yeah, it's not all sweet. Has it ever made you feel like you need to be doing more to increase the diversity? Then? Yes. Uh, and, you know, I go through my ebbs and my flows of how much of myself and I'm investing back into MAPE and all those other things and speaking at things and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I, you can always be doing more, and I certainly can do more. Maybe I'll add that to my, my resolutions. Uh, but no, I definitely want to do more because I was given that opportunity. I was given that bridge, and so many people I know and I, that I'm so close to are doing so much more and have given so much of themselves to to ensuring that uh, that, that is a reality. And not just racial diversity it's uh you know it's um lgbt causes and all that sort of stuff it's just you know there's a need for representation in anything in this country but if you're talking about the influence that advertising wields and like telling stories and convincing people of things even about their own self-image and what they should be doing and the lifestyles that they should be living because that, that is the power of advertising and media um I think there's even more of a need for representation with, behind the scenes of that so that the stories that are told are diverse and, you know, it, it's not just coming from one person's myopic sort of view of a stereotypical view of what is going to sell something. It's like the Burger King ad with, like, somebody using two Whoppers as, like, DJ turntables and stuff like that. Like, uh, I just think we need to get to a much better place because there's so much untapped creativity that comes out of, out of that. The more diverse the people behind yeah. telling the stories, the better the stories and more nuanced and whatnot. Other challenges, advertising is has thin margins and they continue to get thinner and there's more of an ask for people to know how to do 10 different things and to do the job of three different people. I mean, that's that's just the trend. And again, it's a service industry and Chief marketing officers last a year and they get fired and the agency might 
lose the account. So I've had my fair share of accounts that I've run that have been lost. I wouldn't like to think that they're directly my fault, but I have worked on things that have gone out the building. Um, so when you lose an account, like how did that, how did that make you feel, and then how did you recover from that? Uh, it's always really disappointing. I think that the the but the higher you go uh, in your career, the more you sort of like uh, are the one person responsible for that account or the the success of that account and that client relationship. It it it's more than just disappointing. It's also threatening to your you know your livelihood and you keeping your job. You realize you're attached to that piece of business, and even if it's not in your control and it's gone, that could be you. Um, and it's sometimes it hasn't worked out that way. Sometimes it has. I mean, I've been on accounts that have left, but I've been at agencies that I've had strong enough relationships and so much passion for the place in itself that they've found me other things to do, which isn't always the case for everybody. I've been in situations where I was attached to an account and they, they cut some budget and cut some money and I had to be laid off. But again, that sucked at the time, but it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because the job I took after that I had for eight years and worked across offices in two different countries. Um, I've been on accounts that they've left in short shrift, um, and I knew that I was, quote-unquote, safe, but I've had to make tough decisions about team and what can I do within myself to make sure that this account leaving doesn't put somebody else in that same position I've been put in. Because ultimately, like I said before, like we can't cover the cost of bodies if the client is not in place. You know, it's not we're yeah. not rolling things off of a factory line. They're paying for people. <laughs> and if I can't put those people onto other pieces of business that will cover them, it, that's where you have to start making tough decisions and, and whatnot. Yeah. So there's that. And there's the politics of it. Like, you know, if an agency is all about cr- protecting their creative reputation and an account leaves Sometimes you have to be the scapegoat. Uh, sometimes you might know that. You might have to be cool with that. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's for the greater good. When um, you got laid off, how did you handle that? And how did you, I mean, you stayed in New York. And how long was it before you ended up finding something else between that time? Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> it's a funny story. Quick. I was at Anomaly, so it was my second place. It was like 2000 and. 2007, so this is before the crisis, whatever. It had nothing to do with that. It was 2006, 2007, 2006. I um, I was working on Anomaly on Coca-Cola stuff, funny, full circle. Dasani water, uh, some other random stuff, Gold Peak tea, random stuff. They didn't have the biggest budgets anyway, but I loved that place. Like It was like a family. We were there until 3 in the morning. I loved it. And my supervisor, like, there had been some layoffs uh, because a couple of clients had sort of cut some budgets. And I kind of saw it coming around. It was like that thing where it happens within a week, like as a wave, and like, is it today? Is it today? (laughs) You kind of hear a rumor that, like, they're not done, and there's a couple more. I kind of just, I knew. I knew what was was going on. And my, uh, my boss at the time, Mark Mulhern, he, who works at Hearst Publishing now as, like, president, he... Said, can we go have lunch? Can we go? So, and he's like, a, he's a nervy. He's such a good guy. He's from, he's Irish. Um, he's 
he's just such a good human being that like it just bothered him a lot. And I kind of knew what was going on. It's kind of like he was kind of freaking out, but trying to hide it. So he <laughs> takes me to lunch. And you go to he's like, what, what place do you want to go to? And like, let's go to a special place. And we sit down, and like before he even says like before he says anything. I know, and it's okay. <laughs> and he's like, oh, like the color goes back into his face. Uh-huh. And he's like, I know, we try. And I'm like, you don't have to explain it. I get it. It's all right. Just tell me your thoughts and your opinions on what I should do next and this, that, and the other. I wasn't freaking out about it because, A, like I felt like at that point in my career I had known enough people and enough like, that I could go back to and try to just start a search and whatever, like. Um, I, I hated leaving that place, but again, I didn't. I wasn't afraid of being in that situation. I was prepared for it, and it turned out to be a great thing because he was like, "I really think you should talk to this person, Olivia, uh, the woman who runs GE at um, BBL. You should talk to this person. No visa, sorry." Uh, and I went and spoke to her. I remember I sent her some flowers, like whatever. And like she was my entry point into BBDO, and I interviewed at BBDO, and that's the place I ended up being at for eight years. And that was a huge chapter in my career. And got to work on Snickers and Guinness and Red Stripe, and got to live in London for three and a half years. Um, and just worked on awesome brands. And it's like that place that that was like the most defining point in my career and it just all happened because I got laid off and because of the suggestion of the person who laid me off and just a funny story to show how full circle things go I had been working at BBDO for about six and a half years I worked mainly on Mars stuff so Snickers and M&M's and Twix and whatnot and my boss at the time who's now the president of BBDO Kirsten Flanick she came to me and she said, this is six and a half years later, she's like, we're trying to fill this role on uh, Mars Pet Care to lead that, like be the, the main account lead on that uh, business. And like, there's this guy and like, I think he used to work at Anomaly. Like, what do you think of him? Like, and she was like, we're going back and forth with him in negotiations and the thing. I just, I don't know. Like, did you run into this guy? And it was, it was Mark, the guy who <laughs> laid me off and had suggested I go into BBDO. So I just found it funny because I was like, well, like, it's a good thing he handled it well because I kind of had <laughs> the, the tables flipped. Like I could have been like, that dude's an asshole. Like, don't hire that guy. But no, nah, he's a good guy. Um, and like he ended up coming to BBDO and working at BBDO. Oh, wow. Uh, full circle. So we ended up working on the same team but on two completely different parts of the business on Mars uh, for, for a period of time before I moved to London. Um, yeah. Nice. So, so you weren't. What the guy that laid you off got you in the BBDO basically, mm-hmm. and so you weren't laid off for a long period of time. No, it didn't it didn't last that long. I don't remember how long it was, but it didn't last that long. I remember when the recession hit. This is a horrible thought to have, but when the recession hit in two thousand eight, and I was at BBDO like a year in, uh, and I remember being across from Lehman Brothers, seeing people walk with those boxes, oh, like wow. and all that, because we were right across from that building. Um, and then like seeing the dominoes fall, and everybody that I knew in New York being laid off. And they would do, like, you know, they were getting severance and whatever, and, like, people would, like, be going to the beach during the day and, like, just doing, like, activities and whatnot. Still looking for jobs, but, like, they were making the most of the situation. I remember there was a point in time at which I was like, man, I mean, I should have, like, maybe should have stayed laid off a little longer and not jumped (laughs) back into the workforce. I'm missing out. Like, my girlfriend at the time was like, it's, like, the dumbest thing I've ever heard anybody say. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's pretty, pretty immature thought. But uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to, even in that situation, never... Have I've never gone for a very long time in between jobs. I've, even when I like 
move from one agency to the next, I'll like start the next Monday or whatever. Like I don't take much time in between. Wow. So while you were at BBO, you were there mm-hmm. for eight years? Mm-hmm. And part of that time you moved to London. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that transition from New York to London and why you even decided to do it. Uh, I decided to do it because somewhere along the way, a long, long time before that, I got the idea in my head that I working internationally would be cool. And I hadn't traveled much. Uh, and the funny thing is in 2009, I had one stamp in my passport. I only had that stamp and I only had that passport because of work because I was working on Red Stripe and I had to go to Jamaica and you now require a passport. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, well, my cheap self will allow my job to fund my procurement of a passport and it'll just have a stamp in it. And that was 2009. 2012, I was like, oh, yeah, I think a long time ago I said I wanted to live overseas. Where would it make sense? And is that even possible? I said, London, they speak English. I had never been, obviously... (laughs) This is a weird, this is a funny thing. So I I was like, how does this happen? Can I even tell the people I work with right now because they're going to think I'm trying to leave? So there was a guy, his name's Alex Lewis, who I used to work with for my London office on Snickers, really smart uh, strategic planner who I respected a lot. And I asked Alex, I was like, you're my only connection to like the London office that I kind of trust. And like, do you, has anyone done this? Is there an exchange program? How does this work? He's like, well, just so happens there's this girl, Sally, Sally Nathans, uh, who works at AMV in London at the BBD office, and she's trying to get to New York. So you should talk to her because maybe you guys could just switch. She wants to work on Mars and whatnot, and we have all the same accounts here, and maybe you guys could just switch. Awesome. So I started emailing Sally. She's like, yeah, yeah, we should exchange. Like, let's do this. And then, like, Sally stops responding to emails. And I'm like, we had gotten to a point where we were like, yeah, like, this this could really work. How are we going to bring this to our respective bosses? She didn't. She went quiet on me. I'm like, what? So like like a couple of months later, like we want you to meet the new employee on Mars. This is Sally Nathan's. I'm like, wait a minute. Sally Nathan's isn't supposed to be working on Mars in New York in without me being in London. Why is she here and I'm still in New York? So I, I kind of joke. We're friends. I joke with her about it to this day. But uh, I realized like, okay, that's not going to work. Can't exchange since she's here and I'm still here. And I was like, why am I being so like weird and tiptoey about this? Let me just go in and talk to uh, Kirsten, I had the lead on the account at the time, the, who's now the president. Uh, so I went in and I just made the case to him. I'm like, look, we work on these huge global brands. I work on Twix globally, which is one out of here. I work on Snickers in North America, but this campaign, you're not you and your hungry, is taken off everywhere. Like, there's got to be some value in like what I do here and what I've learned here and like applying that elsewhere. And there's got to be some value for BBDO as a network. And she's like, how come you didn't bring this up before? Like, this is exactly what we, what we want to do. We want to invest in bench talent that, like, has really strong client relationships and has worked on the same piece of business in different places, worked in different offices, knows the culture of the network. Like, this is, like, a priority. Like, I'm like, what? This can actually happen? So, like, within two or three months of that conversation, she had the managing director come over. I met with him, and, like, it happened. And then I ended up, in London and I looked up and I was like oh this happened like I live in London now and you had only left the country one time yeah. right in London and everybody was like have you ever been here before like I was like no no my first time in London was the day I moved there so did you have any apprehension about moving to a foreign country it happened so quickly that I didn't have time for those apprehensions to take root 
it happens, and I'm glad it happened that way. I could have come up with a million reasons why not to do it, but I was so excited and so afraid, uh, but also so, like, understanding that how often am I going to get the opportunity to, like, walk blindly into a situation like this that can completely change my life for the better and the worse. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. But, like, how often is this opportunity going to come? Like, let me really take this risk. And I remember, like, it didn't hit me until weeks until I was there. I remember literally being, like, at the gym. I had, like, set up my whole routine, gym, the office, whatever. I was in the gym, and I was, like, lifting a weight, and I was, like, wait a minute. These weights exist in London. I exist. This I live here. Like, this isn't, like, a dream. Like, <laughs> I'm about to go to work. Like, yeah. Uh, experience was dope. Best thing I could have ever done. The other reason I wanted to really do it was I knew it would differentiate me. Uh, and make me more competitive uh, should I want to jump agencies or look for another role or whatever like globality is is real and here to stay right like why not sort of ride that wave and I'm glad that I worked on an account and had a boss that allowed me that opportunity so it couldn't hurt I had to take a pay cut to go but I also knew like okay like yeah I disappear for a couple of years take the pay cut but then come back and use the, the the global sort of asterisk on my my resume to be like, hey guys, I need an increase. Yeah. You know? So it's this theme I'm hearing throughout your whole story. Like you always want to differentiate yourself from from people. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that comes from? Like where did you decide that I have to be different than the crowd to stand out? Uh I don't know where it came from. I think my dad always instilled in me that like you you can never know too much. You should know a little bit about everything. You should know how to do stuff so you can be self-sufficient, but also just because you just never know when you're going to need to use it. So I think in his way of trying to sort of like make me adopt that, like I was sort of resistant because for for the examples he would use would be like learn how to drive a bulldozer or, you know, like stuff like that. And I was just like, nah, I'm good. Not really trying to get dirty. Uh, but... I think in some odd way, like, I internalized the advice and I, I still applied it just in a much more corporate way. Like, uh, so I think that it, I just do my own iteration of that, which is just, like, why not add a whole bunch of asterisks and, like, pivot points that I can always tie back together? Like, shit, I'm the guy that had an MBA that got an advertising that didn't need one, you know? Yeah. Okay, like, why not add being a global citizen to it? Because, you know, those brands probably will be around for quite some time. <laughs> you know, tech is the next thing and figuring out how to add much more serious tech credentials and like like tech development credentials to to my sort of resume uh my experience. Uh like right now I don't just work in advertising. Like right now I've elevated myself to a network role which is across shopper marketing experiential agencies, uh digital agencies, front end and back end. Uh traditional advertising and health. So again, it's just like, I think of my life and my career as almost like a narrative. I evaluate it that way. I want to figure out how am I going to retell this to somebody? And if I'm going to retell it to somebody, like what are the things that will be in bold that will carry through the story that will make it interesting? Because that's the way somebody's going to look at my resume. Right. That's the way I'm going to be able to recap the value of what I've gotten out of this thing, that's, those are the things that are going to lead to unexpected sort of left turns and right turns. So I think I really do and I always have looked at it like, what's the narrative I'm creating here? So what's the narrative of your story so far? 
the narrative is kind of the, the the short form of the conversation we've had. I think it's the the kid who realized he wanted to take the creativity that he's he's had he has and combine that with sort of this aspiration to like break into a corporate role, uh, but just do it on his own terms. Found the perfect thing to do that, and then once doing that, has had experience at small to medium to large size agencies and agency networks, uh, has sort of quickly rose through the ranks of account leadership and worked on like huge global brands and some, you know, across a bunch of different categories uh, and gained a lot of experience doing that. And along the way, also sort of got that experience on either side of the pond and is, you know, now a really sort of adept business lead who understands global brands, agency networks, the different suite of marketing sort of services that an agency network can provide and different um, categories and industries and how to best market them. I think that's a pretty broad skill set to have like I, I don't ever want to I have an opinion about advertising as an industry and just things and how technology is changing things and I'm just trying to stay ahead of that and I, I just want to add as many caveats to that job description as possible so that, that I'm always in need even if it's in a consultative uh, capacity uh, I always want to have something that sticks out to somebody as being like wait a minute this, these two things together might be interesting or just that one thing or whatever. So, yeah. So what do you see next for you? I mean, now you're, you've come back to the stage, you're running Coca-Cola, which is the brand. You're running Coca-Cola globally, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the brand that everyone knows mm-hmm. in every part they of the world. They invented marketing. Yeah. So what's next? Like, how long do you see yourself doing that? Or do you, do you know, like, what the future holds? It's an interesting fork in the road. I took this job being very young to go for it and going into an organization that there were there was there was no parsing of or there was no hiding of the fact that like I would be one of the youngest people to to have taken on this role. I've I've been lucky enough to have a a, a mentor and a person to transition it to me who is focused on being a CEO of an agency now, but he had this job for eight years, so he's shown me the ropes and he's sort of guided me and that's that's been awesome. Um so I have I've got a couple more years to invest in making this my own, to really run with it, to to prove like what I can do when it is all my own and whatnot. So and I've been doing that over the past year, but it's just it's ramping up more and more. Um, Coca-Cola is a unique beast It takes some time to sort of really sort of like become one of them uh, So I, I need to get to that point So I, I, there's there's some some runway when it comes to this current position And what I aspire to do within it But I always try to think past that I think the best advice I ever got was um, One of my former sort of global account leads He told me it's never about the next job It's about the job after that so, like, don't ever think in terms of, like, what job you want next. What job do you want after that? And how can the next thing you do set you up to get that? So I always think it was a really interesting way of, like, stop being so short-sighted. Like, if you think about the next job, it's usually, like, 
it's a job for more money or it's a job that's like the next promotion. It's like, nah, like, okay, and then what? You just keep going up that Like, what what do you want after that? Yeah. Do you want to run an agency? Do you want to be a regional lead? Do you want to be, you know, when you start your own thing, start your own agency, something else? So I'm I'm considering those questions a lot more intently now than I ever have. And I've again that entrepreneurial thing that's within my father that I spoke about, I have as well. And as much planning and mapping of things out that I do. Um some of the things I've moved a little further along, but I'm just at a point now where like I I literally am looking at what I'm doing right now is setting me up for transitioning into leaving and doing my own thing. Still being able to create, but creating on my own terms and making things not in a service capacity. Um, Still being able to leverage what I've learned and the relationships I've created um, and the experience that I've gained. like All those things still playing in service to me having my own thing. And that own thing is not an advertising agency. It's literally of the 10 ideas that I have written down right now and whatnot, it's literally like taking one or two of those things and putting everything that I have against that and that being my next chapter um, and that being a thing that still pulls from this world and this ride that I've been on for the past however many years. So I want to start my own thing. It's definitely going to be something related to the intersection of technology and media and creativity. It's definitely going to have something to do with using those things to create something Ideally, to have an impact on human sentiment or express human sentiment, I think that there's just a, all the ideas that come up with have something to do with like using creativity to express human sentiment. So I just feel like whatever form that takes, um, that's what I'm sort of trying to figure out in the next year, year or two. Nice. So my last question is: What keeps you inspired? What keeps you motivated? People within the world that I work within. And just seeing what they're able to do and just seeing, like, again, like, this is this thing when you, be, when you get old or older, not that I'm old, <laughs> but when you get older, things happen at warp speed, like time doubles. And, like, you remember when someone was doing this and was talking about this and then it, it's real and it's been happening for five years. It's been happening for ten. Like, that's inspiring as hell to me. Uh, and that's people within my world but people outside of my world. So even yourself and other people outside of that world who said, this is what I'm going to do. And they went after it and they did it, you know? Like, and they're, they're still sort of growing something. They've created something. Like, I use that as, like, fuel to just be like, yeah, like, okay. My first stab at that was me saying, like, this is what I'm going to do. It just was a corporate path. And I did exactly what I wanted to do. Okay, and now it's time. It's, it's becoming time for that to to stop. It's not like this is just one train that I got on. It's going to ride me out into the sunset. So I, I like seeing people that have been able to pick up a second act and something completely different or like trans translate what they're doing now and something sort of parallel, but still wholly their own on the side or to come up with a side thing and then overtakes the main thing that they're doing. All those stories. And there's so much of that within that family community of people and just the circle of people I have around me that there's a lot of inspiration there. And I just love bouncing things off people, talking to people about that, helping people just because, again, it, it fuels me in a certain way. Uh, and then even people within my industry who have left and who have done things and people within my industry who have, like, become 
presidents and CEOs of agencies and chief creative directors and CCOs and all that stuff. Um, it's just dope, man. It's just you realize, like, you're riding a wave and, like, this, you know, like the people you come in with, it's like a, it's like a, a class, you know, it's like a graduating class. <laughs> and hopefully you will all arrive at a similar point in your careers at a certain time because, you know, you can then make some really amazing things happen together and you can make some dope-ass connections and you can have fun on a whole nother level. You can, you know, like, you just, to look back and say, like, oh, man, remember we were just talking about this and now we, we're doing it. Like, yeah, that inspires me. So it's people and what they're doing and more specifically what they've been able to create. Um, I try to keep that very close and I'm like, I just pester with questions and all that just because I just, I can never get enough of that, those stories and like that growth and that, like that grind. So nice. Well, I want to, first I want to thank you for your time. And I want to just say, you've always been an inspiration Uh, to me. This is where I cry. No, you're not going to cry. But honestly, (laughs) like, I mean, even when you made the decision to go to New York and I, you know, we were young and I'm like, dude, you're crazy. We're living in Atlanta, having the time of our lives. I thought, and you moved to New York and just to see the determination, the amount of hours you were working, I was like, you're working. Like, I, I, I felt like was definitely a naysayer to that mm-hmm. journey at first. Mm-hmm. And to see you just persevere through all of that and to see you come out on this end where you're at now, it's just like, man, I'm glad you didn't listen to me. <laughs> and I learned. And, and, and just very honestly, like, I learned so much that when I made my transition or my pivot into what I'm doing now that – I will reflect back on those times and and your determination. I'm like, man, I got to stay the course, like, mm. no matter what. And to see where you've ascended to has been, mm. like, just a joy to watch. To see you go from having that one stamp because you went on a job to now traveling. I don't know how many stamps you got and how many countries <laughs> you've been to. But I know you've been every. I feel like you've been a million places. Mm. And it's just... It's a joy to watch, and it keeps me motivated to continue my journey. So, thank you for everything that. that you've done. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I mean, we can we can play like complimentary ping pong right now. We don't need you, to play uh, that. This no, is about you, though. No, serious. I look, man. It's this is the exact embodiment of what I said in that last question, man. Just about getting to that point, that graduating class of like people who talk about something, but then get to a point where like it's their reality and they're doing it. So you have one of the more aggressive examples of that, where you had a complete 180, even in terms of not just what you were doing, but the way you looked at corporate versus not. You know what I mean? Like, so just it, it's been it was fun to sort of see that, and that that is an example I pull up all the time for my own self to know that like when I'm ready to jump, like I have no excuses, you know, because that you talk about determination and this that and the other. Like, it's my determination is within a, a structure. It's within a format because of that's, that's how things work in the corporate world, right? Like there's a process there and there's a path to some extent that you can sort of carve out. Yeah, you can differentiate here and there, but ultimately there's still a framework. You completely like threw the rule book out and went out there and it was complete blank white space. So it takes a lot more for you to be able to navigate and find like how do you find what's the guy's name? Derek Blanks? Yeah. Or, how do you, or an Elton or whatever and get the most out of that so that you can then, like, get that much closer or build together as a community towards, like, your collective goals. There, there's nobody out there telling you, like, this is the process or this is the framework. for the, you, you went out there and created it. It was a blank 
like slate. It was like a blank canvas. So like that's that's a scary thing for a lot of people. And I think the longer you stay in a court or the longer somebody stays in a corporate job, it becomes that much more scary, especially when you have a family and all other stuff. But even beyond that, like jumping out there into like the white abyss is in or black abyss or whatever, it uh it's something that a lot of people on their deathbed look back and say, I wish I would have done that thing. Right? Like Yeah. I heard something recently about somebody said they're talking about resolutions and it was just like you should start at the end to make your resolutions for now. Like you should think about like when you're on your deathbed, what's the thing that you don't want to sit there and be saying, I wish I would have done that. Start doing that now. Right. So like, unfortunately most people don't operate backwards that way. Right. Like they get to that point and they regret these things, whatever. So you've already leapt and are reaping all the benefits and have so much more to grow. Uh, as far as like what you've created, what you're building, and like what that's turning into, like it's exciting to watch, but it took a hell of a leap. So that's a different type of determination, and it's something that I, as I look forward to where I want to be, is something I want to like pull from as an example and be able to like say, fuck it. Like, yeah, maybe it took some risk before, but this takes real risk, you know? Like, uh, but there's much bigger reward on the other side of it. And to have people like you as an example to see what that reward can look like helps nudge me that much closer to being able to like rip the Band-Aid and say, fuck it, like whatever happens. It's interesting because I definitely look to you. And you are part of the reason like some of my initial relationships in this industry mm. came from you. Oh, no, I take credit for it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> as you should, I always give you credit. Anytime someone asks, I'm like, man, Dane introduced me to some of the first people that ever helped me out and some of the first jobs I ever got in this industry. Yeah. It was because of Dane. And I was the one, when he was getting into it, telling him not to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Which is the irony of it all. That's true. So. Oh. I really appreciate this, man. Thank you. I'm glad we were able to do this. Yeah, man. This is dope. I, again, this is another example of something you're creating, so I'm glad to be a part of it. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat, and write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible, and by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.